0: And you remember that there were people that like legalizers who were coming in. And uh, they were even saying that he wasn't an apostle. So he has to defend that, show the authority that he has that came straight from God. He establishes that, two full chapters. And we just finished those chapters. And, of course, we know that uh, he's reporting what the gospel is and even justification by faith, he has hit on that. So he is deeply united with theology and, and faith, Paul is, And so he has to defend his authority because of these false teachers. They're threatening all the people in in the Galatian area and all the the church there. And it's quite serious. People of uh, Jewish groups uh, that came from Jerusalem professed to be Christ, professed that they were made righteous by Christ. But they're kind of like saying, if you rely on faith alone, you become a Gentile sinner, as we saw in chapter 2. And some of those things that they were dealing with, it's, it's really kind of like it's God's work. Plus, though, there has to be a little bit of justification on your part yeah. as you be sanctified. So the Judaizers required circumcision. They required holy days, feast days. And they were requiring such dietary restrictions, as you know, what they ate and such. It uh, amounted to really their whole lifestyle in how they were to uh, act. And so um, we know that these kind of works were being taught to these Galatians. So this morning as we move into chapter 3, we become, um, I think, deeply enthralled with Theology. Chapter 3 and 4 is deep theology. We've seen a little bit of that in the first two chapters, but it's really it was dealing with Paul and who he was and why he's doing what he's doing. So now he's going to expand on that. When we get into chapter 5 and 6, then we're going to deal with application. And of course, having the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and living this doctrine out. So now we get into a high doctrinal area, which is, of course, always one of my favorites. Um, And really what he's getting at though now is, okay, we know how you began the Christian life. You began it by faith alone. But are you forgetting that now as you continue on in your faith? And is it plus something else? that's what he's going to do he confronts them head on with this foolishness this folly that they have gotten into and and really they were being sucked in to this kind of teaching and they had great teaching from Paul can you imagine the best teacher of the New Testament that you could be sitting under for some time and then be fooled by somebody coming in bringing something else it's easy to do and that's what happens um, at uh, at this time and they were contradicting the very work of Christ on the cross that's really what they were doing so what Paul's going to do is ask a series of questions and they're kind of in the format of rhetorical so the questions that you ask and everybody knows what, what the answer is but he does that so really in five verses that we do today you'll see almost nothing really but question marks and that's what Paul does and uh, so it's a series of that um Paul's point, if we actually were to look at five five of Galatians, the point is seen. And so we'll go there, kind of jumping ahead, but explaining what we're doing today here. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now we already have righteousness. Right? We well, have Christ. He's already explained that. But what are we doing now in the present time as we live here on earth by faith through the Spirit? We're waiting. We're waiting for Him to culminate all this. But in the meantime, we live by faith, right? As we wait on Him. And so that's an experiential aspect. So, Galatians 3 5 is a series of questions. That don't really come out and stress the point as 5-5 five five does that we just read there. And so what he's going to do now, even though this is a doctrinal area, he's going to take their experience of what did happen to them. Our experience does matter, doesn't it? Because that's what happened to us when we trusted Christ. So he's going to use that experience. And he said, you got everything there is to get you've got the Holy Spirit residing in you, dwelling in you, God dwelling in you. That's uh, that's an experience. And so he's going to deal with, it's kind of interesting, the whole Trinity is involved in these five verses. And you'll notice whenever you see Christ in a passage, somewhere along the line, you'll probably see the Father. And somewhere along the line, you'll also see the Holy Spirit in maybe one verse or a, a series of verses and you'll see the Trinity there. Here, we see it here in these first five verses. And so he, he, he pinpoints their experience by bringing out Christ in the first verse. And then in verses 2 through 4, he's going to bring out the Holy Spirit, which is vital in us who live this Christian life. And then in verse 5, he'll bring out the Father. And so that's what he does. That's kind of interesting how he kind of outlines that. So guess what? If you look at the outline, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see the work of Christ. You're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see the work of the Father. That's how we're going to kind of work through this kind of format and help us to be able to see a little bit more of of what is going on here and the way that Paul is thinking. That's a principle of it. Uh, The very principle that he's defending is the very same principle that was brought up during the Protestant Reformation. And of course we have brought that out. It's the same point of doctrine that Martin Luther called the article of faith by which a church stands or falls. So that's how important it is as we uh, discuss this doctrine. It's the same doctrine that John Calvin called the principal hinge of religion or Christianity. Christianity. We called it religion then. It was known as a that was known as true. And today you almost have to de- redefine religion, don't you? Because we know a lot of religious folk, but they're not really Christians. But um, that's that's the idea. That was what the Reformation really did. They brought this out to the forefront. That was the main doctrine that they wanted to push to people. Really, was that you're justified by faith and faith alone, and it's not a matter of anything that we can do, whether it be clothes or Uh, If we do this or we don't do this, that is not in the equation. And so they brought that out, and it's a point of truth that calls for a clear and a very compassionate plead uh, defending this doctrine. And anybody who would not think that it's worth fighting over really does not grasp the essence of the very gospel message. That's how important it is. So, as we go over sections that might seem very familiar to us or it's like, okay, I understand this. Let's move on. But remember, it's it's such at the heart. So I poured over it this week. I, should I take five verses? Should I take 15, 14 verses? Uh, we could. We could take 14 verses, but I'd take the last three minutes probably and then cover 10 verses or something. I don't know. But... Um, uh, just going to take five because I know right here as we try to get into a little depth, I think it will uh, should help us. Let's um, let's read that passage and um, just to give you just a little bit of break, I'm going to have you stand as we read this word. And remember, th- these first five verses are teaching us how to live through the Spirit by faith. Okay, how to live by the Spirit through faith. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does He who provides you with the Spirit and works, miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Father, thank You for this passage. And help us to uh, understand how to more thoroughly live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is an interesting passage. A series of questions that Paul just keeps hitting on. And of course, we all know the, the answers to these questions. And I'm sure they do too. And it's a reminder. And it's put very bluntly towards these Galatians. And when you see these words, you begin to think, oh boy, what kind of heart does Paul have? Doesn't he love them? Well, yeah, That's why he's doing what he's doing. And sometimes we have to be reminded very harshly. Sometimes because we yeah hit to the side of the head, right? We need a, that two by four, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. I mean, a baseball bat comes uh, across them, and he doesn't him haul around about it. Paul uh, hits right at the target. He already has in chapter one, and boom, right here, uh, he hits harder than he has before. You foolish Galatians! Now, somebody ever did that with you? you go, what? You know. It's almost like he's not concerned with kind of diplomacy here. <laughs> um he's very candid. Personal terms. But he wants to get to the point, wants to be very straightforward. Uh it's like a teacher in a classroom. The teacher wants to get the uh the attention of the kids and um matter of fact he wants response. The teacher wants response from the people or Maybe for the children, if you think about in Debbie's case over there, she just started school this week, and I'm sure it's hard to get the response from them sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes you have to make sure that they understand. So we ask them these rhetorical questions. It's a good tool when you're teaching to ask questions because people may not listen whenever you say something straightforward, but when you ask a question, it's almost like, boom, the ears perk out. and like, oh, he might ask that question later on, and it might be on a test. Or maybe he might ask me personally. <laughs> Is he asking me personally right now? But anyway, I think he's already gotten their attention. And he wants a response. At least them to get their thinking here. That's, that's the problem. They're not thinking. And I'll show you why in a few moments. Oh, foolish Galatians. Looking. Look at this. You say, well, what's, what's the attitude of Paul? Well, I think he has emotions here. And I think there is definitely an anger. It's a righteous anger. And at the same time, I think you see love. Because he, you know, he could have just avoided and said, hey, listen, let them deal. Lord Lord will take care of it or whatever. You know, if they buy some of that, who cares? It's all right. (laughs) That's not love, is it? He wants them to be living this truth out. So it's kind of a. Mix of surprise that he has. It's like I can't believe this, you foolish Galatian! I can't believe so soon that you're doing it. Who who bewitched you? I can't believe this is happening. You know, you, you've been that way before, but at the same time, it's almost like, yeah, I can believe it, but I can't believe it. This is really happening. Well, foolish. Now we have to get to that word, um, because this. Uh, definitely gets our attention. Uh foolish here means a mental laziness. It means a carelessness. Lacking in thinking. It's a deadness of intellect. And you say, well how do you get that out of that word foolish? Usually it's you know you think of fool, you know, immediately. Well, that sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? But it the word is ah uh, It starts with a, and a is negative in the Greek. means no, Na etos. Noe is dealing with the mind, or the thinking. No thinking, no mind. (laughs) That's exactly what it is, literally. So when you go into the Greek, you go, oh, that even defines it better, doesn't it? Now I see why he says foolish, and foolish to them would be that. So in that translation... And you might even have something like that, but um, go into that a, a little bit more. It's, it's not talking about having the absence of any kind of intelligence. It's not that they have no intelligence. Uh, it, it's talking about the failure of using the intelligence that's there already. He's not saying, Oh, you morons! <laughs> you, you know, you, you imbeciles! You blockheads! But it's it's almost like, yeah, there are blockheads that are not using their brains, not using what they've been given. J.B. Phillips, who has a translation of the New Testament, and some of you might be familiar with that years ago. People used that a lot. But I, I think it's uh, rather, almost humorous, but I think it's actually kind of uh, um, accurate. Oh, you dear idiots. <laughs> Loose translation of that. But... um it's a lack of understanding. And it signifies spiritual slugginess, sluggishness. Uh, it's a sure failure to use their brains. Paul was going to spend two chapters, because of their laziness spiritually, using his brain to make them rethink what he had taught them before. Some people just float around. They just grab into whatever is blowing. The gentle breeze is blowing, you know. Every wind of doctrine going about. And that certainly happened then and it certainly happens today just like then. Every wind and doctrine, it says in Ephesians. And, you know, we have to be careful. Always. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, the emotions pick up on that. But a transformed person should be always transforming their mind be thinking on the scriptural things. And uh, yeah, it is an um, emotional thing, but we're not to be led by our emotions, but we are to be led by the very doctrine of the truth of God's Word. So, you know, it is an intellectual thing. We are not people who just say, hey, we believe. What do you believe? I believe what the church believes. What does your church believe well, it what the pastor believes. Whatever he says. <laughs> yeah, whatever <laughs> You guys don't do that, right? I know you don't. Yeah, I better be teaching the things that you guys already believe, right? Now, there are going to be things that maybe should help us understand thoroughly, but the basics of the doctrines we should all be in agreement on and we should be able to voice that. And looking for the opportunity to bring those forth. Always teaching. Uh, whether it be little kids, just always keep drumming it into their minds because guess what they get the rest of the week? <laughs> all week long they get other. They get some junk coming in at them. And when I say them, that's us too. You know and boy we need to uh fight against that by bringing forth truth and making sure that goes in there and anyway you would think well paul man you're you're violating the very thing that that the lord admonished uh you know i think back on the sermon on the mount and uh what a and admonishment that was sermon on the mount is found in chapter uh 5 in verse 22 But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And you go, Wow, is that contradiction did did, did Paul, is he in disobedience whenever he calls him foolish? Well, there is a different word between the fools here and the foolish that we just talked about. We're talking about they're not taking to understand. The fool here is uh, something that we're never to call people, and um, they might be doing some things that are not—they're not using their minds and such. But in this case, um, he is writing with the tenderness of a pastor's heart, and uh, he is—it's almost like he's weeping for that they would do this, that turn to this, and this—you know—he's always. Concern for the souls of men. Look in Luke 24 in verse 25 and you get that word foolish again like we have in Galatians and guess who uses it? Jesus does. So well, there was a proper place for Him to use that and you remember the the Emmaus disciples? Such a really good story after the resurrection and they were walking along with Jesus and they didn't know it was Jesus that it resurrected, and they were so sad because Jesus had been killed, crucified, and they're talking, and of course he goes through the Old Testament and shows that the Messiah must suffer those things and be crucified and then raise again. I mean, he gave the, the very basic elements of what the Messiah is about. In verse 25, he said to them, "O foolish men!" And slow of heart. Now you see what the word foolish is? It's just like in, in Galatians where they're not using their brains. Um, their uh, failure to use that, um, it kept them from putting things together that was true. They're slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So there's that word. That's, that had happened to the people who were looking forward to the Messiah coming in. If we look in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. There's that word foolish again. Same Greek term. And that's where they're not really thinking. They're they're not focused on the things of God. They're looking to get rich. That's their whole motive. Anyway, other places uh, that um, are there dealing with that. Look in Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, the next book over, chapter 4, verse 14. This is another sense now of what happens. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of of men by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Because some of these guys are so slick. And man, they're good at it. They can trick people. And when people aren't really thinking, well, yeah, but this Scripture says this. Do you check everything out? Are you still reading Scripture? Are you still focused on those things? Check those out, right? Look in verse 23, the same chapter. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Keep, keep in the Word, Right? So he could have been commended the Judaizers and been a real nice guy about it and very loving, as the world puts it. And he said, "Oh, your scholarship is great, and the, the Judaizers. I have to admit, their zeal is just wonderful for the law, and their all their knowledge of the Old Testament. Oh, they're so good." But he dismissed that. You know, he didn't give them any credit. And he knew the serious danger. And spiritual health for the Galatians was concerned. And that would undermine the very foundation of the gospel, wouldn't it? Now, you have today a lot of people um, who are doing that. I I think of Seventh-day Adventism. Of course, where they use the, you have to worship on the seventh day of the week, which is the Sabbath, which is on Saturday. There are certain foods, certain kind of laws that they have. uh, Even in uh, the the Anglicans, the High Presbyterian sacramentalism, the modern uh, Lutheranism. If you look at that, you'll see those same things, and they're the very people that cry out, "Grace." but yet they have things that would be um, in the same kind of line. A legalistic variety of religion that is there. And it makes an inroads into even our evangelistic efforts today. And it's all over the place. And uh, you can say, well, uh, what do you mean? Just look into what they really are saying. They're saying some right things, but underneath it all, what else... It's there. What, what's underneath that? Um, here's what happens. Here's what happened there. Not only were they foolish, but we see that they're bewitched. Kind of goes along with that other word. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? It's almost as if some witch had come in and cast a spell on them. But that's, that's not really what he's saying there, but it's something along that line. Have you been so hypnotized? They're irrational. They're, they're out of touch with reality. They're, they're mentally drunk. What has so blinded your eyes that you are missing everything that is the very foundation of what is so obvious? How are you missing it? The word is their baskino. And it means to charm or to fascinate in a misleading way. Who has bewitched you? Who has charmed you? Who has deceived you? Who has seduced you from the gospel by flattering your flesh? Uh, Pull the wool over your eyes. Have you heard that one before? Who has pulled the wool over your eyes? Who tricked you? Now, the, what uh, Paul is using is something that would have been used in letters that people wrote at that time. Uh, maybe at the uh, uh, at the end of a letter, uh, a popular phrase that uh, they might have used is, don't let anyone put the evil eye on you. <laughs> now, have you heard of that? He got the evil eye. <laughs> Whatever that is. Or the evil eye. Don't let anyone do that. Trick you. Who, who, who tickled your fancy? Now, he knows it. They know it. But Satan's ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. The fiend of hell? He beguiles, he deceives the souls of these people. The very simplicity of the gospel of Christ is now made into something that it's really not. So he writes a very, I think, tightly arranged argument in this letter of how um, this had happened. I think his argument is very strong. How would you like to argue against Paul? But God sends Paul into the the area and has him aware. He knows that uh, there's a snare of the devil that's there. And he wants them to repent, to, to know the truth. Matter of fact, Paul wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy. One of the last things that he wrote, he was very well aware of things like this, two twenty-five and twenty-six, with generous correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now, this could even be to the false teachers, ones who had some truths but were misusing it. it could, I think ultimately, you know, you can look at this passage here and say, well, this is talking about people that really are falling short of really even being Christians. They know about it, but they're really not that. um But at the same time, we know that Christians can get close to that edge and start being burned too and where to to go to them. Um, Gentiless, but correcting. Anything that's in opposition to truth, that's the idea. Now back to our Galatians. Okay, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, we touched on that right. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay, you're the ones you're the ones who have the eyes, and this has been publicly portrayed. That's what my translation says. Um, the word there is pro grafo and graph might mean something to some people. It's dealing with writing. Graph. writing pro graph pro first uh it's dealing with portraying or making it very obvious uh having no newspapers during that time or all the other media that we had today my if you if you miss any news today it's because you really weren't wanting to hear anything, or you were away, and you know I don't need any, need to hear anything. I'm just I'm distancing myself from everything for this time, right? Because it's all there, and people know within moments seems like. But how'd they do with public announcements? Well, the way that they would do it is they would put it on placards in a very prominent area where people would see. That's how you would get the news out. It's placed in areas where the public came, the marketplace. That's where they put it, where everyone could read it. And so it was a very vivid illustration. It was like a billboard that they would have. Okay, you get that? Publicly portrayed. What was portrayed? The Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul had publicly portrayed. It It was as if he had had a video presented to them or some kind of writing that was on a wall about the gospel of Christ, and they vividly took it in, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed. It was like they saw that. It was an image that was etched into their brains, because Christ was proclaimed by, uh, by Paul. Now that's interesting. They knew full well what it was. It was open, it was public. And so that was an expression that was uh, very familiar with them. Publicly placarded. That's the idea. This, you guys knew about it, he said. Christ crucified. It's a graphic picture. It's a movie screen that's on them. Okay, did we, did we hit on that hard enough? <laughs> Publicly portrayed. It, it's, a, it's a difficult phrase if you don't know the time and, and what, how they would have used phrases. But um, he's talking about his own preaching and teaching. That he really etched in their minds, in their midst, the single focus is the gospel that was preached, proclaimed by Paul, and that's why we go into the at the end of that verse publicly portrayed as crucified. He was seen as crucified to you guys. You know that First Corinthians two two. Back up just a couple of books. Paul comes into Corinth. And it didn't matter where he went. When he went into the Galatia area, he did the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I mean, that's the heart of his message. Now, did he say anything? Well, of course, all the doctrines. But everything is rooted in that message of the crucifixion of Christ. That's where everything is centered, right? So that's what I came in with. I didn't come in with some kind of flowery language. I didn't come in with the kind of philosophies that the people at Corinth or in Athens or other places did. That's what they did. But I only came in just giving the gospel. That's all I do. That's what I'm about, right? That's what our lives are about. So, uh, Christ crucified It was incredible to Paul that anybody would grasp anything else. That they'd get caught up in legalism. You know what? It's about our helplessness, isn't it? And we recognize our helplessness. We recognize that He's the only one that can do anything. It is Him who gives us the justification, the sanctification. He said in Galatians 5.11, if I preach circumcision and that's the issue here in Galatians, or much of the issue, is the stumbling block of the cross that has been removed. Right? The cross is a stumbling block. That's what causes people the problems. They don't like that crucifixion. The death of Christ is the death knell to our pride because remember last week in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. That's where you died. You did already die. Thank the Lord. That death knell. But it's the very dawn of our hope. There we see our death as we see His death. But that's where our hope comes. You see the the darkness and you see the light there at the same time, don't you? Because you know about the resurrection. The death of the Son of God atones for my sin. My sin. And he makes that individual. Matter of fact, it should shut my mouth forever but, um, and bring my life to an end of the way my life was, right? That's where I died. He says, you Galatians, you had such a clear picture of Christ being crucified. Right? Why? Why are you doing that? Why are you going back to that? What in the world ever messed you up? (laughs) So that's the first reason. As Paul addresses them with this question, Paul gives this reason why the action of the Galatians is so foolish. Why is it? Well, it contradicts the work of Christ on the cross. That is why... He, answer, he asked this uh, rhetorical question and uh, the information that he really gives. You know what though? The benefits of Christ crucified was for them then and right today it's just as fresh to us, Christ crucified, as it was to them. Aren't you glad of that? So we move on to the second They uh, they really are contradicting the work of Christ, His work on the cross, when they do this. Now, in verses two through four, we are now going to see the work of the Holy Spirit being contradicted. They contradicted Christ. Now they're kind of contradict the Spirit in this. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Okay, did did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith, uh, Paul. Yeah. Do you have to keep at it? You know the answer. Are you so foolish, Paul? Keeps at it. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And he asks, Did you suffer or experience so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Okay. It is not I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I think verses two through five are a compliment, even a commentary on our Galatians two twenty that we had last week. Do you see how the context? just goes right in. We didn't necessarily need a break at the end of 2 to go into 3, did we? Because he's just covering now what what chapter 2, verse 20 meant. Instead of speaking of Christ in us, this time though, he speaks of the Spirit in us. The experience is the same. Because chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying Abba, Father. The Spirit of His Son, the Spirit of Christ. The experience is the same, isn't it? Christ and the Spirit are so one with each other. Two different persons in the triune God, but yet... Two different personalities. Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit resides in me. That's how God resides in us. Christ comes to us in His Spirit. So, anyway. He begins to show how their actions are contradicting the work of the Spirit. And it reminds them that how they received the Spirit was by by the Holy Spirit, was by God, and it was started by him. It was started by the Spirit at the very start of their Christian lives. See how he is definitely hitting on the issue of their experience? He's using theology, but he's also using their experience. Experience alone cannot stand uh, stand by itself, can it? But experience along with doctrine, when you compare your life with doctrine and it's following right along, then you know that God's Spirit is is working in you. And it's... Uh, not being contradicted. How did your Christian life begin? That's really the idea of this 2 through 4. He says, okay, hey, take this picture. you got the picture of Christ, right? You're contradicting what He did on the cross. You're trying to add your works to what He did on the cross. You can't do that. Now he says, okay, let's think of it this way. How did your Christian life begin? Did you do it by pleasing God by uh, doing certain things? You cleaned up your act first, Right? Christian life is supernatural, isn't it? The Christian life is supernatural. It all comes from God. In its very origin, all the way through our walk that we have here on the earth, in continuing, right? All the way on through. That's, but we know that it started with the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit. He reminds them of that. We, we have received the Spirit of Christ. Look in romans eight nine I want to tell you, you're a Christian, yeah, the Holy Spirit He said, well, sometimes I don't feel it sometimes, as a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is not on it because Holy Spirit is him, he's a person, and in romans eight nine we get great good news out of this. However, you are not in the flesh, no longer are we in the flesh we're considered- we've been converted, but in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That means if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, we are commanded in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit, be controlled by the Holy Spirit, is the idea there. But every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we have no power. We cannot do anything. We can't do anything of our own selves, right? We have to rely on His Spirit. Sometimes we don't, allow Him to direct us, but all Christians have received the Spirit. It's not something that happens later, is it? The Spirit dwells and works in the believer. Remember Galatians 2.20? The old self, or the how can you say it? The, the flesh dies with, uh, with Christ at the cross. You've been bought by Christ and you're now possessed by His Spirit. He owns you. He dwells in you. He makes a permanent dwelling there. Every Christian has that. Isn't that great? He's not going to come along a little bit later. Yeah, I trusted in Christ, but I know I'm, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will come one of these days. Well, no, the Holy Spirit has already come. We need to, to realize that, but we want Him to control us, don't we? Look in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Same book we're studying in. Why is it that time? Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, we read that before, right? Is that starting to make sense now? Go back to our Romans 8 again. Now, this time we're going to go to verse 15. Talking about sons of God and the Spirit of God. These are sons of God. We have the Spirit of Verse 15. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, who? Abba, Father, Daddy, right? The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us so. But also, the Holy Spirit tells us that. That's our experience. It is great to know the Holy Spirit tells us. And it's not the burning bosom, burning in the bosom, what uh, you hear in, in the cults, and right? Mormonism. But we know the Holy Spirit is telling us that and because we see it here in the Word of God. We are sons of God. That's uh, it's great to know, isn't it? The bottom line is testing the Spirit. That's the test of love. Most of us, there's a combination of these, you know we have uh, boldness and witness because of the Holy Spirit, um, we have joy and affliction because of the holy spirit, um, the the very reality of Christ in our lives and the, all the joy that we have is because of the holy Spirit um, love, joy, peace, we have peace because of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit, right? You just keep on going down that list. patience how come you have patience now like you didn't have before he said I don't know about that <laughs> ok let the Holy Spirit deal with you on that and where you can be more patient or he'll bring things along afflictions and sufferings and tests and trials and he will use those anyway but he will definitely use those to help us learn to be more patient he's still working on us isn't he ok the reality of Him living in us. Did you receive the Spirit by works or by the hearing of faith? That's what He says in Galatians here. All of these questions sound very much the same, and they're pretty close, but it would be because of hearing by faith. Matter of fact, it says that that's what we have to hear. We have to hear the Word of Christ, right? By faith. That's, that happens. Um, James 1.18. It's all a work of God. Hebrews, then James. Little bitty book. One eighteen. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth. How did He do it? By the word of truth. So that we'd be a kind of first fruits among His creatures, He brought us forth. How did He bring us forth? How did He make us born again by the Word of Truth? You go to John three, and you'll see that it's the Holy Spirit. Where He comes from, we do not know, right? We don't, we don't, you know, experience or exactly see that when we experience the results of it and such, right? But at the same time, it's the Spirit of God. It's the Word of God. That's how it happened. Um, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Oh, what good news that there is there at the end of that section. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth. There we go. After listening, after hearing, the gospel of your salvation explains it. Having also believed, you hear it, then you believe, you were sealed in Him. Roman seal, it's done. It's good. It's good forever. With the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Right now, we have the pledge. Araban. The pledge, the promise of of the fulfillment of this. That's why the Holy Spirit is here in the church today that He was not present exactly in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was there. How else can He come by faith? But yet now in a more fuller way than the Old Testament time on every individual that's in the body of Christ. And one of these days, here's what's going to happen with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. We have that Holy Spirit to guarantee that we have the inheritance, that we are sons of God. Are you rejoicing over that? Amen. Man, Paul is saying these kind of things. This is what this is about. And uh, so he so contrasts between beginning by the Spirit and trying to be completed by the old way. said, okay, that's, that's what happened. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Romans 8, seven. Man in his natural self cannot submit to God. That's a pretty telling scripture, isn't it? That's in Romans eight seven. He cannot. He is bound. The work of the Spirit. So he says, if that's what happened, I know you agree with that, how can you go on relying on something else besides God's Spirit? He will continue. So how you began? and how you continue. That's verses 2 through 4. And by the time you get to verse 4, we see really dealing with the experience of the Holy Spirit. Back to Galatians. You know what? I think we're going to get through these five verses. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, that's kind of misleading. That Maybe that word is a little bit harder to understand. Uh, it's dealing with experience. They experienced... Christ, they experienced the the Holy Spirit. Did you experience so many things in vain? He he, he dwells there. He reminded them how they began their Christian life. And He's saying, okay, you know what happened there and you know what continues to go on. All these things that, that you've gone through, you can look at what happened. The essential mark of as a Christian is not how far you have progressed in your great sanctification. That's not the secret of it. But on what you are relying to get you there. Power of the Holy Spirit. Are you striving for sanctification by works? Or are you striving for sanctification by faith? Believing in God's work in you and the Holy Spirit. And then he gets to that last part. Verse 5. Brings in the Father now. We've seen the Son. They contradicted His work on the cross. They contradicted the very work of the Holy Spirit of how they began and then continued. And now they contradicted what the Father did in giving them all that He did. So then, does He who provides you with the Spirit He who provides. God provides the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit. And works miracles among you. Do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. So he talks about the experience with God. He ministered to you. He's the one who gives the Spirit, right? Who is it? It's God the Father. Jesus said in Acts 1, Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. In Ephesians 1, I think 13, we just read that earlier. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The Father promised that. The Son promised that. God gives the Spirit. In the case of Jesus, God gave Him the Spirit and not by measure. God gives the Spirit. Luke 11, 13. Just about ready to wrap this up. Eleven thirteen. If you, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, somebody that's not an unbeliever but they still take care of their own, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He gives the Holy Spirit, the Father, His work. In the Greek construction, there says he's the one who ministered the Spirit, the one who worked the miracles. It is indeed God the Father. They experienced all these things. The word minister is a fantastic word here in this time. It's not the word serve. Usually, when you see minister, it means serve. But in the Galatians section here, right at the uh, end of verse 5, or first part. So then does he who provides you with the Spirit? Provide. The word is epi coriego. It's to supply bountifully. To supply abundantly. The one who supplied you abundantly with everything. That's the thought. In a, in a, totally in an abundant fashion, a super abundant way. Are you are you catching it? That's what he did. Now that word, epikoreigil, is to supply abundantly, and it was uh, dealing with festivals or plays. You would have actors, and you'd have a big event and. Uh, Sophocles and Euripides and other playwrights when they'd write them they would have these people who would come along and supply them with the things that they needed all Greek plays had a chorus to do their musical background live you know what it's like to bring in an orchestra well, that's kind of what it is but they're going to have to be supplied uh, it'd be very expensive to bring these guys on to do that And somebody's going to have to foot the bill. Somebody's going to have to pay these people to come in and to do what they do. Corregio. And there would be certain citizens, patriotic citizens, who would give great contributions and supply abundantly these extra people. It also would describe the support uh, which a husband out of love would promise to his wife. It was a man. If it was a man, or if it was somebody in a play, or whatever it was, God would abundantly supply, in this case here, everything that is needed. We're talking about the very love of God in everything that He brings for us. And He worked the powers, the miracles, the, the, but it wasn't through the law, the works of the law. You couldn't have done that. The Father did all this, and you just believed it by faith. He abundantly and bountifully poured out his Holy Spirit. His and the dunamis was there. That's dynamite, right? That's power. And so he says, "Is it about the works of the law, or hearing by faith." What are they going to say? It's hearing by faith. Okay. Why don't you continue to live that out, rather than going back and doing what these legalizers are doing. I want to finish out with a verse It's found in Ephesians 3:20. This is our prayer as we close this out and get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Now to him, who is able to do far, more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.